What's up, church planners and church planting enthusiasts? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend and fellow planter in arms, Matt Hess. What's up, Matt? What's going on, brother? Not a lot, my friend. You guys are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. So whether you're a lead church planter or you're on a church planting team or you're just a fan of church planting, then this podcast is for those of you who want to get in the trenches and advance the kingdom of God. Now, we are really excited today because we've got our friend Jeff Christofferson uh, on with us today. Uh, Jeff uh, is, uh, man, he's just an incredible uh, uh, friend of ours and an experienced church planter. The man. He's <laughs> the man. Uh, Jeff is, uh, he leads NAM Send Network. It's the uh, Southern Baptist Convention's uh, church planting arm, and he's also the author of two books, Kingdom Matrix, um, designing a church for the kingdom of God and kingdom first, starting churches that shape movements. And uh, he's married to his wife, Laura, and then they've got two grown kids, Kelly and James. Uh, so Jeff, it's great to have you on with us today. Well, it's great to be with you. Yeah. Great to see you guys. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So, you know, we were joking before uh, we started recording that it's interesting because Jeff is a Canadian living in America and we're Americans living in Canada so I thought that was kind of cool when yeah, bro. I thought about that. It's, it's awesome. Kind of, yeah. Post is on the wrong side of the border. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's right. You know, Jeff is um, actually the reason I'm in Canada. So if anyone's not pleased with the fact that I live in Canada, you can blame him and <laughs> we'll put his email address in the show notes and you can send complaint mail there. And his personal cell phone number. <laughs> no, we won't do that. No, we won't do that. Uh, but seriously though, uh, it was, it was reading Jeff's book, Kingdom Matrix that, mm. uh, really so not only did it impact my life just in terms of how I saw ministry and how I saw church planting and missions at moving from, uh, I think, the you know having a scorecard where we measured things by attendance and yeah. and, and and things like that to uh, having a more kingdom uh, focused uh, mindset where where it really helped me shift from addition to multiplication mindset hmm. uh, and then that's also where I learned about Canada and because uh, Jeff yeah. tells the story of the sanctuary church uh, there in that book and and that's kind of what originally piqued my interest and so the rest is history so and, good man and now I'm up here so. Uh, well, Jeff, you help lead the SIN Network for NAM, the North American Mission Board. So tell us a little bit about your role and, and specifically what you do uh, and what are some of the exciting things that you're seeing take place right now uh, across the SIN Network. Well, I've, I've cut my teeth in church planting and kind of like you two, church planting in maybe not the most easy environments um, <laughs> where, where nobody is you know waiting for you to put up a sign to say there's a new church opening. And uh, in fact, most people have... Uh, uh, you know, they, they, if they had a church in their memory, which most don't, it's, it's a negative thing. Mm. And, uh, but most don't even have church in their memory. And so they're as excited about coming to a new church as you would sort of coming to a new lions club that's opening up near you. And, uh, <laughs> lions club, man, I haven't yeah. heard that forever. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, I think, I, I think I got to kind of figure out in a very postmodern environment, how do you reach people like this yeah. and, uh, and where culture is going. And so I think I bring that to the North American mission board to kind of affect our missiology a little bit in, in, in much of, I think historically how evangelicals have thought about church planting, it's starting new worship services and, mm. um, and uh, and so we 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 try to be relevant. We have values of excellence, things like that that appeal to Christians. And uh, and uh, and so if you have a pie chart and you look at the percentage of people in a community that are predisposed to come to somebody's evangelical worship service in most cities, um, it's a pretty small slice. Yeah. And, and then church planters are often setting themselves up to try to get their market share of that small slice. Mm. And, um, and, and when you think about Jesus and, uh, his, his teaching, like the lost sheep, uh, the one, you know, leaving the 99 going for the one, I mean, I mean, how extraordinary it is when most people in um, most cities, basically, they have one and they're neglecting the 99. It's almost in reverse and we're not even doing that. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so my my goal and role at the Send Network is to influence us to not plant churches um, 
for evangelism, but the plant church is from evangelism. That's a completely different church. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then at, when you plant a church from evangelism, disciple making becomes paramount and which is, is really the thing Jesus asked us to be involved in. And then setting yourselves up for multiplication. And uh, we define multiplication as not, um, um, not reproduction, not necessarily, uh, starting a church from my church, by importing an outside person, but really trying to develop from within yeah. uh, planting teams, because that's the only way I think we see the trajectory of North America change mm. it is is getting off the addition train and getting into the multiplication train, which means making disciples from the beginning. And so that's kind of where where we're heading, where we're going. Mm. So yeah. t- talk a little bit more about um, the difference between planting from evangelism and for evangelism for our listeners. Kind of explain what you mean by that. Yeah, that's key. I think historically church planting gathers a lot of Christians together mm. and and then come up with some vision statements that kind of you, you form around it. And usually there's an outward focus to those vision statements. But the people you have gathered, there's they have no relational equity or connection to lost people mm. most of and so they um, they they have uh, little ability to reach a lost and uh, lost community, and many of them, if they've been Christians for a long time, you know, theoretically believe in evangelism, but actually don't, and um, hmm. and they don't really think that uh, you know God could win somebody, yeah. and uh, and so so they've they've through whatever whatever reasons they've not been involved in the game of, of evangelism, and they've kind of psyched themselves out. And um, and so they're they're not going to be the people that can can sort of help you. Uh, so somehow you have to almost do what Jesus did. In John chapter four with a Samaritan woman who, yes. you know, she had this kingdom seeking heart that uh, that was desiring something. She she wasn't interested in religion. Mm-hmm. And um, and she uh, all of a sudden was pretty engaged by by Jesus and and who he was and what he was teaching. And so much so that as a pre-believer, she was bringing her community to Jesus. And, um, and so that incipient, incipient sanctification is what I call it. Watch this, this thing happen where, where a person has not yet followed Christ, and yet they are conforming their, their life into a kingdom ethic, and they're bringing their, their people, uh, their friends and neighbors uh, on that journey with them. So that's planting from evangelism. <laughs> Man, that's so good. I I, I don't want to take us in a different direction, but that this is good. We're talking. We talk about church planting. We're talking about evangelism. And I, I talk to us, Jeff, about where did where did when did that shift happen? Where um the Bible the Bible says that it's it's a good thing. The 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 one who wins souls is wise, right? The Bible tells us that, but. It seems like growing up, I'm 37, growing up in the church, we, we, we hit a time and a period where we stopped believing that, where we stopped trying to win souls. We stopped knocking on doors. We, we stopped going um, into malls and sharing the gospel. We stopped going into parks and telling people about Jesus. And it became like out of date or old fashioned. And I remember getting to church planning and, and seeing like um, so many planners thinking that it was about cleverness or getting people together and then having this slick presentation or whatever. And w- when did that, when did that shift take place, man? Like in your journey, when you saw people go away from that, um, I don't want to call it aggressive evangelism because that's got negative connotation, but you know what I'm talking about when I say that uh, being bold with the gospel. Yeah, so I think, um, and and I don't know if this is exactly where you want me to go, but I just, in my observation, I see on either side of the border a different problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. I see, I see uh, on the Canadian side of the border, church planters um, who are, when you're, when you're thinking about the good work validation of good news, mm. emphasize the good work. And often have, a, and so they do a lot of construction on the legitimacy and authenticating their witness. Yeah. But they never get their witness out. <laughs> yeah, that's good, man. That's gold right there, what you just and, said. Uh, and, and then I see on the other side of the border, the good news side without any validation of good works. Yeah. And so and so there's almost this soul winning idea where we're, we're talking a lot to evangelism, but we're not, we're not really living a life that anybody's interested in. And, um, and so, 
I think I think finding those two. I always said I want to be the spiritual love child. This is of Billy Graham and Mother Teresa. That's where I want to be <laughs> myself. And uh, where where good works and good news one one verifies, one clarifies. You is two wings on a plane. You can't have one without the other. Man, that's good. And, um, and so it, it's hard to be in balance because most of us tend trend toward one or the other, that's one right. side. And uh, and I think either either one is a ditch. A plane doesn't fly with one wing. And um, and so I think I think for in Canada, my experience is planters uh, are a little more reticent in actually popping the question. We build we build so much relationship that we've invested so much in the relationship that uh, we're scared to break it by by, uh, moving moving in with the Jesus talk. And uh, and I think it's just really helpful when you say, okay, no, actually, Jesus is such a part of my life that in a very conversational, just normal way, I'm not I'm not really working toward the presentation of soul. I am just you know living a life and sharing how Jesus makes a difference in this and this and this and this. And so, First Peter three fifteen is a natural result. They have a can opener. They're trying to open you up and find out what is this good hope, this hope that you have, and uh, they're they're. So, yeah, does that make sense? Absolutely. You're talking about the overflow of Christ in us, man. And I I would completely agree with you. When we first moved here in 2012, a a church leader told me that he had been in a relationship with a political official um, in in our province for seven years, seven years. And um, I said, wow, seven years. He's like, yeah, I've been in his home. Uh, We've had meals. I said, man, that's incredible. I said, is that is that guy a believer? And he said, oh, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and and I thought, how do you not know? Like you never, exactly. exhibit a right you there. never got around to the gospel. So that's exhibit A. And then on the flip side of it, you know, being from the Bible Belt, Jared's from Houston, Texas area. You know, I grew up in Oklahoma, but came from uh, Memphis, Tennessee, pastor in Mississippi. And you see that, yeah, there's clear gospel exhortation every Sunday in churches. You know, there's always an altar call. It's it's always clear. But then you look at the lives. You see so much bickering. You see a lot of back uh, abiding and fighting. And, and you say, well, why would I want anything to do with any of that? And so, man, that's a that's a spot on. Le- sounds like you've been learning a thing or two down there in Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cool thing when you're church planning, you get to make a new biblical culture, a biblical yeah, culture yeah, yeah. that that is informed by the, the climate or the culture that you're in. Man, that's, and, man, that's um, good. Yeah. So that's, you get to start a new thing. Mm. Yep. Yep. Well, you, uh, Matt was joking just yep. now about, obviously about you learning a thing or two down in Atlanta. Cause the reality is, is that <clears throat> I think you've got enough church lending experience to mop us both off the floor. with. <laughs> um, so t- Jeff, why don't you share a little bit about your uh, church planning experience? How and why did you decide to give your life to church planning? Like, mm. why is this such a, a passionate yeah. a passion of yours. Hmm. Yeah, well, boy, that's a that's a sad story right there. The first <laughs> church I planted was was um was just a utter failure. Yeah. I yeah. So I I was right out of college. Um I was going to a place where there were um it was a, a place where the economy was in the tank and it was an oil economy and it was just boom bang and um so everyone was leaving that town everybody was discouraged you just talk to people and there was like a, a cloud over the city all the time and then i sort of pop in you know thinking i'm going to come in and save the world and um still single engaged to my wife but by myself working full-time job at a furniture store n- knocking on doors in my um uh, in the evenings before it got dark, before it got scary for people. And, um, and I just began, you know, very, very discouraged. And I was like this kid that could hardly shave yet saying, Hey, I'm Jeff Christopher. and I'm starting this church. I named it victory Baptist church. That was irony. <laughs> Man, it's a good church name for church. There plant. was no victory happening anywhere. Any like I see. And, um, and, uh, and so at the end of that time, you know, not only did I, was I, convinced that church planning was for me. I was pretty convinced that ministry wasn't for me. I was, I, I felt embarrassed and it was just a, just a really a, a low moment. And I read a little book by a guy named Bill Tinsley called Upon This Rock. And, uh, and God just sort of energized my faith and said, all right, you know, I'm not done with you. I've maybe taught you something here. Went to seminary after that. And, uh, and sort of said, yeah, okay, Lord, I'll give my life to, to, ministry, whatever that meant, but I knew it didn't mean church planting. And, uh, so that was the one thing I would not do. <laughs> I kind of, I, uh, kind of ruled that out. So I went and pastored a church that had been there for about 50 years before I got there. 
and, and God did some things and we grew and built a building and, and, um, but there was almost like this ceiling I could sense in the ceiling. And my nature is apostolic. I mean, it's kind of who I am. And, uh, and I could see myself continually bouncing against the ceiling that I wasn't going to get past. And God used that to say, you know, I really need you to, uh, to, um, start something fresh here without the, without the history. And, uh, I didn't know much. I, I had learned a few things on evangelism. And so we started a church that, um, it was a church for the unchurched, a church for every believer's ministry, church for the glory of God. That was kind of the three things that we used. I used kind of a saddleback church growth paradigm as I was, yeah. as I was doing this. And, um, and it worked. I mean, we began to reach people. We had this really cool church of, um, of Olympic athletes and uh, we wow. were different different groups of athletes, you know, in different areas. You can see the, the swimmers were over here and they got the little, you know, muscle cups over here and you can see the volleyball players. We had to put them in the back cause nobody could see over them. You know, it was just this, uh, different kind of the bobsledder guys. And, um, and, <laughs> that's, uh, that's crazy. We, we Jeff, called the, Jeff, just so our listeners know, this is in Canada. Yeah. This point. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, uh, called the, the, uh, chapter, chaplain to the uh, Canadian Olympic team as my um, associate pastor, which really gave us uh, an inroad into that. And so we start, we reached the community, we're reaching athletes and we're just, we're just saying it's a great thing. And uh, and I heard this guy um, talk about Toronto and, um, and how difficult it was. He was in there trying to be like a catalyst, a church plant catalyst and couldn't get anyone to go there. And, um, and his own kids, um, were, were, you know, going to a church of a different language. They didn't understand just, it was just, uh, and so, um, I remember looking at my wife and, uh, and she looked at me while this conversation was happening and we knew that God was saying time to go to Toronto. So we left, left what we started there and moved to Toronto in 2000, 2001 started this church. And our goal was to plan a it was it was not to plan a mega church. We said it was plan a mother church, and uh, and because uh, we I learned some things in the past. I went back to my way um, past memory of growing up in Saskatchewan under the leadership of Jack Connor and Henry Blackaby mm-hmm. that 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 basically lived open handedly and um, and ga- gave away everything they had so the gospel could be in this town, this city, this village and churches were just starting everywhere. And that was my discipleship pro- pro- process. I forgot that. And I got involved and fascinated by the church growth idea. Mm. And, uh, and God brought me back to my roots. And so in, in Toronto, we said, we asked God for the privilege of planting a church that might plant 25 churches by 2020. And that's kind of where we, we, um, began to move our, we put a plan together that we would plant our first church in our third year. And we ended up planting, um, two other churches simultaneously while we launched the first church. And uh, and this just went out of control. Then we started Toronto church planting out of the church. And, uh, and it just became this thing where, yeah, God, God did something cool. Taught me a lot. Man, we're we're recipients of that, right? So, like for our listeners that that don't quite know, I mean, you know, Jared and I are both, and 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 the planners that we serve and that we uh, are part of here on the East End and the fellowships, like this is all a part of Jeff and Laura's obedience, you know, to come here back in two thousand. And so, man, you know, before we move on to the interview, Jeff, thank you so much, bro. Seriously, for your faithfulness, man. Your your um. Golly, your your footprint here has just made an incredible kingdom impact, and we're grateful for you and Laura for sure. Well, you you know you know it's a God story, right? Yes, so, absolutely. I mean, for me to be able to talk to you guys and see how not only are you planting churches, but you're planting churches that are multiplying, and it just makes my heart just <laughs> do something. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, man, listen, you you've written two books on the kingdom of God. Um, I, I, you invited me to come and preach on the kingdom, um, back yeah. at the, the network orientation and, uh, Tim, we, a friend of ours who's with, uh, Nam as well, Tim was up here for an assessment and he, uh, I was part of that assessment team and Tim says, Oh, so I hear you're preaching on the kingdom at the orientation. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, you know, Jeff Christopherson usually preaches that session. So he's <laughs> written two books on the kingdom. So good luck with that. And I said, Oh, thanks for that encouragement, Tim. Appreciate that brother. But, oh man, but seriously, Jared in the intro, he talked about kingdom matrix. Listen, 
that book was given to me in 2011 before we were um, launched out of our church um, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I, that book was given to me in Atlanta in a commissioning ceremony. And I read that almost that entire book in one night in the bathroom of a hotel room with my little, <laughs> with my little family, not on the toilet. It was on the floor. But why but were you in the bathroom? Because I didn't want to keep my kids up because they were all in the room and the lights and stuff. So okay. I went in that bathroom and I read that and that book has greatly influenced what we do here on the East end of Toronto, man. And, and, uh, that, that book was incredible. So you've written two books about the kingdom of God. And let me ask you this. When most people hear kingdom, what, what typically comes to mind? And your experience and, and when people talk about the kingdom of God, what do most people think about? Fuzzy thinking. Um, most people almost ascribe it to uh, almost um, they know it's a good thing, but it's almost a negative thing. It's like, uh, well, we, we really were trying to do something in our church and it didn't pan out like we wanted. But I guess it was a kingdom thing. And uh, <laughs> that's good. It's like um, it, it's like we really focus on the church, and if it and if and if it doesn't really result in anything in our church, then we go. We hope it had some kingdom consolation effect. Yeah. And um, so I think I think for most people, it it is definitely a secondary concern at best. Mm. Yeah. So when you define the kingdom of God for our listeners, a, a how would you define the kingdom of God, and then b how does the kingdom of God advance? Yeah, well, how I define it, I mean, there's lots of theological definitions about the rule and reign of God, but it's it's just simply, I, I just try to make it so people can understand. I say it's what things look like when Jesus gets his way. Mm. And so it's what my church looks like. It's what my family looks like. It's what society, the environment looks like when Jesus gets his way. And, um, and so it, it advances through obedience. That's it. Um, it uh, and, and obedience is always... Uh, a part of faith. I mean, when, when, when Jesus speaks is, um, when you're thinking about church planning in that context, it's, it's Jesus speaks to you. I mean, in this, in this relationship that you have with him and he, he brings you to something that's in your weakness beyond yourself and you have to trust him or not trust him. And trusting him means the waters are parted or it means you're sawn in half. Either way, you're obedient to him and, uh, and the kingdom of God advances. And, and and the 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 implications of that advance might be seen right there immediately or might not be seen for a generation or two but it will be seen and um and so i think we uh we we miss this because we're very pragmatic as church planners we we um we we try to do the thing we we have this entrepreneurial bent as if we somehow are going to start this and um and so i think it's really really important that a church planner understands that the most important thing that they can ever do is work on their walk with God. And their walk with God isn't Bible knowledge. It isn't um, facts. It is faith. Mm. And, um, and so just a, a simple, quiet obedience. And and and, 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 and in, in obedience, I mean, the meta narrative of Scripture is weakness. It's, it's all That's the right. way— all the way from the beginning to the end, we we do strength finders. God does weakness finders, and um, and wow, that's a that's tweetable right there, yeah, ladies and tweetable. gentlemen. That is powerful. That's good. Yeah. And so just by just by uh, that that simple um, understanding that I really can't do much here, and I believe God can. And so, what does He want me to do? Okay, that sounds stupid, but I'll do it anyway, and uh, and then get take that that step of faith. And I think I think most often church planners have a model; they have a hero. They take their model and their hero, and um, and try to somehow contextualize it a little bit, and then begin to build a, a business plan to execute. Oh. And, um, and I think you miss it. Mm. So, and that's good, Jeff. Man, how is the uh, yeah, in your role with the Sin Network right now, uh, you know, obviously you recognize that. So, how are how is the Sin Network helping planters uh, n- to not do that? Right, <laughs> to stay yeah. away from approaching church planting uh, with a, a business mindset, mm. or you know, uh, looking to an expert and you know, you know, taking their plan and contextualizing it. Um, how are you helping guys to do that? Well, our, our Send Network training, um, I think, is is really helpful in that. Um, 
actually I, we brought a, a, a group together and we're sort of working on a, on a second version of that training, which really gets at this even stronger. And uh, because basically there's three things that a, that a planter has to be able to do. One is know himself. And so when you know yourself, um, Amen. You, you know, you know, your personality, which is a strength. What are my strengths? That's good to know. You know, your spiritual gifts. I think those correlate more to weaknesses. And um, even though you spend twenty nine ninety five taking your spiritual gift test and they tell you what your strengths are, which your, your spiritual gifts, which is your personality. But if you if you flush that, never take another spiritual gift test in your, in your whole life and um, and just begin to look backwards at the times where God spoke to your faith. You've taken step of obedience and you've seen him work. There's a spiritual gift. Yeah. And and so I have my um my spiritual gifts, I have my personalities, and I have my passions, and often that's wounded areas of my life, mm. where areas where I limp, areas where, you know, when you uh, when you buy a new car, maybe you buy a Volvo or something, and you never noticed Volvos before until you bought one, now you see Volvos everywhere, right? Yeah. And the uh, that's kind of what passions are. You've been hurt in a way, you've seen something, you, some, something very deep happened to you, and everyone else is walking by that, they don't even see it, and you cannot not see it. Mm. And, um, and so all of that, I think God uses in who you are. And so pay some, some careful attention to that. And then you got to know where you are. And, uh, and that involves understanding, um, context in, in a couple of different ways. One is normally what's the normative process for a, a, a person who is disconnected from Christ to come to Christ. Mm. And there's, generally three barriers I think that they go through and they're not all the same. They're different. There's in, there's emotional barriers, there's intellectual barriers and there's volitional barriers. And, and, and you have to kind of figure out what is, what is the barrier that that person is, is struggling with is an emotional barrier that he's had some bad experience with Christ with the church or with Christians or is an intellectual barrier in Toronto. That's basically mostly the one you you deal with where, where, where you haven't really met a real Christian to have a bad experience. You just, uh, you know, you're, you're in this very pluralistic environment where you've got everybody in the world, every other world religion all around you all the time. And if you're a socially, emotionally healthy, lost person, you're going to come up with the conclusion that if there is a God, I guess all these roads must lead to the same place. Mm. And so that is the ethic that people have. You have to be able to answer that ethic in a way that makes sense. And so you have that sort of intellectual barrier you're going to deal with. And then then volitional barriers where, you know, so it's like cultivating, sowing and harvesting. Evangelism is all of those. And uh, we just think evangelism is harvesting. So we start bringing the sickle out to things that have never, never come to, you know, fruition. And we end up hurting everything. And wow. so um, the uh, so so understanding that and then sort of the macro version of that where I'm planting what where are people stuck by and large in a culture which one of those three things are are they stuck in the most and uh and that's where you got to begin to emphasize on uh, and do your cultivating in your community on whether it's emotional intellectual or volitional barriers and then uh, so you understand your context so you sort of mac, micro macro and then even reproductive con- uh context how how would I build simple systems of disciple making reproduction that I can see a path between like you have this great between being spiritually curious mm. to actually being a servant and uh, and um, how do I how do I make that path? And so I got to understand who I am because God is going to give me a plan that fits me. I, I don't I'm not going to rip off somebody else's. I got to understand where I am. Um, then you then you have this last part, and that's you understand whose you are, and that's where I really encourage planters to uh, get in a cabin in the woods somewhere and pray and say, God, I'm not I'm not leaving until yeah. I've spoken to me, and uh, and and I have a, a very clear path forward. And you cut those a red thread connects those three, and uh, and then you you when people when you share your vision and cast your vision, people can see in your eyes. This is what God has asked you to do. And when the money dries up or when it's hard, you're not going anywhere because God has asked you to do this. And, um, and so, yeah, that's I think that's a significant thing for a planner to get. Man, what, what you just now said, like the past five minutes is it's like for our listeners, li- go back and listen and listen and listen to that again and again and again, because 
the problems that we've seen, God called us here in uh, July 2012. We just hit our six-year mark. And in six years of what we've seen in a city this big here in Toronto, everything comes back to these three issues. Like everything comes back to these three issues. You got the wrong guy in the wrong place. Or you got the, or you got the uh, right guy in the wrong place, or whatever it might be. Or you see an apostle type, which nobody ever talked about apostles in my upbringing. Like, and and uh, I was in the Word of Faith Church. Unless and, it was, unless it was yeah, the wrong kind of unless apostle. It, unless it was the wrong type, you know. <laughs> and then you get into Southern Baptist life, and like well, those are the only people that saw the miracles of Jesus. That those people don't exist anymore. And then you have this bend, and then you get into church planning, and you're like, there's a lot of apostle types still around, right? And um, but we've seen that so much, Jeff. We've seen guys who um, who get they, they feel called to church planting, right? But they're shepherds. They they right. um, they want to shepherd a, a group of twenty, and they'll shepherd those group of twenty until Jesus comes back. But those twenty aren't going to do anything to advance the kingdom of God. Um, and and I'm not saying I'm not putting shepherds in a category here. I know it sounds like that, but and then you have the apostle types that lose their minds with those twenty. And they're the ones that have to be starting something over and over and over again. And then you, you, we, we've seen so many guys come in and they've got these prepackaged plans. And that's what I love, by the way, about Church Unique and the vision frame and the pipeline. It's giving guys an outlet to say, you don't have to do it like this guy did it. We don't believe in canned vision. We don't believe in canned church planning. Um, and, and you see guys come in and they got these plans you know, and they try to implement these plans. And hey, guess what? Toronto looks nothing like, you know, Alabama or Toronto looks nothing like Calgary. So if you try to do it in that same way, you're going to run into these walls. And I just for our listeners, go back and listen to what Jeff just said, because you got to figure those things out. You got to figure out how God has wired you up before you get into church planning. And you got to figure out what you're called to, man, because if you don't know what you're called to, You'll, you'll try to find your identity and your results and all that kind of stuff. You're going to get into a lot of problems. And, and you're going to hurt a lot of people. You're going to bring a lot of people into your wake of damage as you do it. So, man, that's a good word. Yep. So, Jeff, I'm going to change gears a little bit and talk to you about something that I know I've heard you talking about quite a bit, and that is co-vocational church planting. And uh, yeah. it's kind of a, What's a that? newer it's, <laughs> it's a newer term uh, maybe for a lot of our listeners um, so talk to us about uh, the co-vocational concept versus the bivocational uh, church yeah. planning, which most people probably heard of, and how can it potentially lead to a greater opportunity for movement for kingdom advancement? Yeah, that's really, to me, if you ask Jeff, what are the two things that uh, we will be focusing on here and are the most important ingredients to movement? It It is multiplying church and it is co-vocationalism. Mm. And... Um, the uh, so so we're familiar with the word bivocationalism and uh, and it sounds like a consolation prize to most people. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like I um, I wanted to be a real pastor, and uh, but I, I the church can't afford I can't afford for that to happen. So I'm going to take this other job and do this. Bless his and, heart, he's bivocational. Yeah, and as, and I'll keep doing that until you know the church grows to a point where it can pick up my salary, and then I'll be a real pastor. And um, and, and so I mean I'm I'm kind of in, using a disparaging tone there, but it's kind of where we are on on by bi, vocationalism. Mm. And um, the word by means to or divide, like bifurcate or bisect, and and you have these two opposing ideas: one a, a church that you really want to be involved in, one's a job that you don't really want to be involved in, yeah. and they're competing for for with each other. And um, and, and so I tried to. We're trying to come up with a different word. I came up with the word co. Co means from the Latin com um, means together, co-pilot, co-author. Um, and so this is, so bivocationalism, it, 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 I, I painted a negative word, ter, a negative idea, and I don't mean it because I think bivocationalism, I think there are times where God calls a person to be a full time and this is a step towards that. And so they're going to, they're going to that, but we have to give a different imagination if we're going to see a movement in church and, planning, in church planning That's right. and, and that different evangelist, the imagination is blowing up this sacred secular divide mm. that is not Christian. It is not biblical. It is, in fact, the opposite of that. 
and uh, which means unchristian and unbiblical. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Jesus never spoke of this. And um, the, 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 you look at the journey of the book of Acts, you know, there was times where, where Paul was full time. There was times where he wasn't. He, you know, it was like he was making tents. There's, there's this, this idea that um, when you look, whenever you see movements across, it's, even our own denomination, when it was growing like crazy, it was going, growing really with a co-vocational understanding. It wasn't a bivocational understanding. It was farmers who weren't ever going to stop being farmers. Yeah. But they, but they were. Um, they were they were starting a church and they were pastoring a church and they were leading a group of people. And so if we could give people an imagination that their parish is their work mm. and, um, and and their credibility is their work, especially the more postmodern our world has become or or pre-Christian our, our world is that um, that Christian pastors really have no credibility mm. often. You know, there's no credibility with that title anymore. There used to be. Yeah. Now it's just a negative. You guys probably when someone say, what do you do? You hum and ha and you, you don't even want to tell them. And because <laughs> because, you know, well, there was that conversation. And um, and so and and I hear all these church planners coming up with all kinds of creative ways to introduce what they do without ever saying I'm a church planner or a pastor. Yeah. And um, I'm a community development leader. Yeah, exactly. And and so so when you think about your uh, when you think about the disciple making imagination and vision in the in the church that you're starting. And you think about the, the leaders that God has given you are business leaders. There are all kinds of different leaders. And they are they have incredible. So we're thinking about church planting as apostolic teams. Yeah. Um, then you have the ingredients in your church where no one leaves their church. Everybody. But you have got you have got incredible talent and incredible passion, way more than a bunch of guys coming to the seminary that are, uh, that are able to, uh, able to, to have credibility. And then you can almost say, you know, follow me like I follow Christ in a way that makes sense because I'm working full time and uh, you can follow me. And so, so this co-vocational idea, our, our, our goal is that um, we're sure going to get to a place where, half of our church planting is co-vocational. Yeah. And then I'm seeing great examples of that. I'm seeing church planters who could, uh, re- no, no ability to raise partners and no problem for coming up with money, but they instead, you know, start a CrossFit gym and, yeah. and they're using that as their, their platform for evangelism and disciple making. They're starting their church out of that or coffee or whatever. I mean, just so many different ideas. And so, uh, so I think co-vocationalism, when you think about uh, when you think about Jesus, just let's go through Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Um, was he an apostle? Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Is he a prophet? Mm, yep. Yeah. You say, I say unto you, he was pretty much a prophet. Was he an evangelist? Yes. <laughs> you know, he was the he, he what himself was the good news. Was he a shepherd? Yes, he was a good shepherd. Was he a teacher? Yes, yeah. he was a teacher. So Jesus himself was perfectly that. Mm-hmm. And, and the body of Christ has to be perfectly that, yeah. or it has doesn't have the power of Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, But we have, I think, as a, for a long time, been just uh, really excited about shepherd teachers and maybe a wonky version of evangelist. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can, if we can see, you know, and I think it's, it's, this is a thing where I think this is different. The apostle Paul, the apostle Paul, was was he apostolic before the road to Damascus? Yes. Absolutely. He was. Yeah. He was the most zealous, um, persecutor terrorist was. And, um, and so I think, I think if you are a church planter and you're missing evangelists in your church, Mm-hmm. You begin to go target people that, you know, when they get excited about something, everybody's got to be excited about it. 
You know, they, they start they start doing this and all of a sudden they can't stop talking about this. Start go, start finding those people and, and win them to the Lord. Multi, and, multi-level marketers. Multi-level <laughs> marketers. That's I got these oils. Start. I love to just they a few be, minutes of your time. Be, they picked up snowboarding and now everybody's got a snowboard. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. whatever. And um and, and find those people and so and, and then watch how how your 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 church might end up sh- morphing more like the person of Christ. Man, I love what you're talking about, Jeff, because we have, we've, we've essentially neutered the power of the body of Christ in so many ways because there's, we're not empowering the local congregation to go and do what, well, we stopped equipping the saints. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. We've, we've stopped equipping the saints to go and do what we're so, when we first got into church planning, um, we, we had been taught to, to, to just keep a, a, a lid almost on people that w- had the strong personalities and the, you yeah. know, because they, they cause, because typically in a lot of, not everywhere, of course, I don't want any hate emails here from our listeners, but in the Bible belt, you know, a lot of times those strong personalities and those people who try to control things, you just grow cautious of those people, the more you're in that environment. But what we've discovered in church planning is a lot of times is those people are going to be your greatest champions. They don't have an ax to grind. They don't, they're not trying to, they don't know church culture. They're going to go out and they're going to win their lost friends. And you need to empower them, church planner, to go and do so. You don't need Mm -hmm. to keep a lid on them and try to control them or contain them. You need to release them. When you think about Jesus and he's commissioning his disciples to do this global thing. Yeah. Um, can you imagine if they said, okay, what's our strategy? How are we going to go and do this? Yeah. I think it's, let's start a whole bunch of worship services everywhere. Yeah. You know, but our vision of church is really starting a worship service for most plants. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and, and so you do not need that, that apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd. You don't need that for a worship service. Man, that's good. Don't need it. And, um, and so those gifts never get elevated, man. They never yeah. get even expressed in the body. It's yeah. good, man. Yeah, it's um, yeah, Jeff. I, I think that the just going back to the co-vocational thing, um, it's going to be so important moving forward. Um, and I think one of the reasons that honestly, like as you were talking, that uh, a lot of times we can be reticent to a lot of guys can be reticent to want to move in that direction uh, is that uh, I think there's a little bit of almost pride in, in thinking that, well, I, I need to be involved full time because if I'm not involved in this full time and I'm not always working on it, then it won't happen. Yeah. As if, you know, just going and faithfully sowing seed and faithfully sharing the gospel uh, throughout the rhythms of everyday life uh, and, you know, seeking to gather people who are responding mm-hmm. isn't, isn't enough and that God can't actually grow a church from that, that we need this big production and we need to be full time so that we can put this big production on and so that we can have all these programs and we can have all that, you know, this, that, and the other that we're doing. Uh, cause if we don't do that, then it's not going to work and we're not going to actually be able to plan a church. But I would say this, like what you're talking about is so true. And I'll tell you why I, I coached a church planner yesterday from Boston and he came from being in large established churches. And he said, Matt, I felt like I was the CEO of an organization. I was in meeting after meeting after meeting. We were in program after program after program. And, and the Spirit of God just got a hold of me one day and just completely wrecked my heart and said, you're not doing what I've called and equipped you to do. Mm-hmm. And if if that, I know we don't get into methodology model much on this podcast um, for obvious reasons, but if your model is bent in a certain direction, then that what you're talking about that CEO type you are the only one you because you're you're the guy right and you're the guy that has to make it happen but you're not equipping people you're not empowering people you're not releasing people and you become we talk about this all the time you become the stopgap you become the kink in the water hose you know mm-hmm. out in the summertime and kids are spraying in the in the yard and somebody kinks the hose and they don't want it to flow no more to get them wet you become the kink in the hose yep. and cuz you're not releasing people I didn't know you were coaching. Don't Francis be a kinky hoser. <laughs> Go ahead, Jeff. Don't be a kinky hoser. That's don't the, that's be a kinky, kinky hoser. Kinky hoser. <laughs> don't hashtag kinky hoser. Yeah, that's don't don't be one of those. <laughs> that's definitely not a con, uh, something you want to attach to your name at all. That's so good. <laughs> it is good. Yeah. Get some good. shirts made up of that. Yeah. You know, it's fun. I was, you know, like co-vocational sounds cool. I wish that I would have like not gotten a Bible degree because I kind of feel like Elisha after he was called by Elijah and he like he took his his cart and his oxen and he slaughtered them and burned it all and like I, 
this is me. I'm in ministry and I don't have a choice because I got a Bible degree. I mean, I don't, I can't, I can't do anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have any other skills. <laughs> yeah. Jeff went to seminary. He turned out okay. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, he did. Well, I think it's important too, real real quick. I, people that listen to us obviously aren't all church planners, and maybe you're listening to this and you're a bivocational pastor, and you're thinking, "Well, gosh, man, if my church is doing really well, and they're thinking about calling me full time." Like, we're not saying that's bad. We're not saying that might be the calling God's placed on your life. What we're talking about is indirectly in context of church planting, and more importantly, what we're talking about is movement. We want to see movement happen, and if every single church has to become this fully funded you know, machine where everybody's on full-time salary and all that kind of stuff, that's going to be difficult. I, I believe it's going to inhibit movement at some point. Well, and especially well, I, as you look at the trajectory of where we're going, right? Yeah. Like as a country. For sure. So. Well, I, I mean, the movement that, that I get to be a part of leading, we plant 700, 800 churches a year. Mm. And we are the most well-financed um, church planting idea in the world. Yeah. And um, and so seven or 800 sounds like a lot. But we lose seven or eight hundred a year, right. mm-hmm. and so we are we are we are focused like we've never been focused in planning churches, and we are spending you know dollars like most most groups don't have to spend, yeah. and we're just basically keeping up with on zero, you know, yeah. and so there's just no way to move move ahead in that church to population ratio until we sort of hit, sort of hit the multiplication button. And I don't know how we hit the multiplication button if we have to finance our way there. Mm. And we haven't been able to do that in history. And I can't imagine we're going to be able to do that in the future. You don't. That's the, that's the answer, right? There, there's just not enough cash. Mm-hmm. So Jeff, um, I'm kind of want to run out of time, but I did want to ask you uh, this. What are maybe two or three of the top things that you believe it's going to take for us to really see a God-sized movement of church planting in North America? Well, I think we're seeing some of it, so I'm I'm encouraged by it. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, I I didn't, I was, I had to search long and hard to find a church planner that was thinking about multiplication. Mm Mm-hmm. And I, I went, I mean, I've met some guys, Brian Beloy, Vance Pittman, Bob Roberts, and we developed this little affinity where we were moving from different parts of North America and commiserating together what we could learn. And um, But now that's not the case. Mm. Now now I'm seeing most church planners, at least intellectually, but but actually many with uh, with their actions are thinking multiplication out of the out of the gate. Mm. So that's that's. That's at least the culture is changing in the right direction yeah. on that planning world. I think what's what's going to be important is I've just met with um, last two days with uh, missiologists from 13 different groups, 13 different missiologists from. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're sitting here comparing notes of the things, what we're seeing in culture. And um, um, I think I think I think I think we're also getting to a point where where there's a, enough dissatisfaction out there that the worship service is the goal. Mm. Um, I mean, that's us. We, that's our imagination on that one because the North American church came from Europe and it didn't come from Acts. Yeah. And, um, and so that picture of Europe was sort of brought over to uh, North America and we just sort of Americanized it or Canadianized it. Mm. And, um, but you want to see the future of that church go to Europe, you know, it's that's right. It's not a good future. And um, you want to see the future of the church, you go to the south. You go to Southeast Asia. You go to a place, that's the future of the church. Yeah. And uh, and so, and that looks a lot more like Acts. Mm. <laughs> and so so I, I'm, I'm seeing, I think there's just a lot of people with a, with a little more desperation than they've ever had before about, or frustration about what is this thing that we're doing? You know, and um, and so I think that's going to be important. And then once we have to get to the point where the priesthood of believers isn't just a theological abstract, but it's something we really do believe. Yes. And um, and we begin to set out how do we release the body for uh, not church growth, but kingdom advance. And um, and I think I think when that happens, we're not this in the whole premise of church growth is saving ourselves. Mm. The whole premise of the kingdom of God is giving ourselves away, mm. and um, and they're opposite. And we know what happens to our lives if we save it. You know, Jesus tells us. That's right. And um, so, so I, I, I see something there too. I see, uh, 
I think I think there are more and more and more and more people who are looking at the body of Christ as not the audience that we've learned that a long time ago, but but really as not even the army of building my church, but as an army for building the kingdom of God. And people are going to be a lot more passionate about about using their their gifts and their time and their treasures if it isn't, you know, some small project in our church, Mm -hmm. but is, you know, we are actually um, bringing the kingdom of God on earth in this city. And, uh, and, and everyone's lives are getting better and, and, you know, people are getting reconnect or connected to Christ. And I mean, it's just, it's just a far more motivating job than, you know, okay, I'm going to be second in command in the children's ministry here or I mean, whatever, but yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Jeff, like, I know we're wrapping up here, man. I, I just want to say, um, on, on behalf of Jared and I and, and, uh, man, the, our, our, our little network on the East end here, Toronto and the, just the entire city, man. But thank you so much, brother, for your investment into our lives and, um, for what you do and, and, uh, just how you bring so much clarity to, uh, kingdom mindedness and kingdom minded church planting and giving ourselves away. And we, we find ourselves, um, saying a lot of the same things you say and, and have written and have poured into us. And so thank you, man, for your investment into our lives. It's it's a joy to all be on this. I I got a few years on you guys, so I'm I'm waiting to see all Just a couple guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, Jeff, man, it, it was great having you on, and thanks thanks for coming on. And um, we want to also thank our listeners for listening to this week's episode. And uh, make sure you guys head over to www.getinthetrenches.com, and you can check out other episodes there. And also, we need your help getting the word out. So if this podcast has been uh, helpful for you, if it's been a blessing to you, then uh, please do us a favor and, and, and share it on social media and then go and subscribe uh, on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher. We're on all three of those platforms. And then leave us a, a written review. Five-star ratings only, please. That's it. Only five stars. Only five stars. We'll delete uh, the others. We I don't think we can do that, man. Oh, okay. So yeah, We won't then. We won't, but please, just only five stars. We're just asking you for a favor. That's right. All right, so uh, we'd be extremely grateful if you do that for us. It'll it'll help get this podcast into the hands of more planners. Uh, and we'll be back next Monday with another episode. So until then, go out there and get in those trenches, church planners. Yeah.